Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. All right, ladies and gents, we are back with stacking pennies. We have so much stuff to cover, but one thing we should not cover is Bristol and dirt. Jonathan Merriman, that's my hot take of the day. I think you're wrong, flat out. You are totally wrong. The spring race doesn't mean as much as a fall race. Experiment with it. Thought the dirt show was good. Put it under some lights. Make it real good and dirty for everybody there in Bristol. Make the night race all about the action. You're not going to get that kind of action in the spring race. So Yes, you could. Cover it in what you want. Nope, not going to happen. You're going to make it a spring night race? Because they haven't done that. If you're doing it on dirt, yeah, I think you can get away with doing a spring night race. But if you have two Bristol concrete night races, you're cheapening one. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I agree. All right, well, with that latest hot take, there's my good friend Chuck Bush. Hey. It was a weird hey. I apologize for that immediately. And Pit Road Boats and Wells Analyst Ryan Flores. And real quick, Merriman can fight one for not picking us to make the next round. I meant to tell you that earlier, Merriman. Sorry, run better. <laughs> glad you brought that up we might as well go ahead and dive right into it if your name is not kevin harvick or if you don't drive for hendrick gibbs or penske you're not in the playoffs anymore so we can look at the equality and people on equal terms here's the thing guys if your car's not come out of hendrick gibbs or penske you don't have a good shot to win a championship let alone a race did you guys find that little statistic in your little, I don't know, in your meeting. Yeah, I think the math backs you up on yeah, that. Yeah, the math does back us up on that. 11 out of 12 come from three teams. Can we give a shout-out to one of those members of one of those teams, William Byron? I think we said last week that he'd have to pretty much go out and win. Well, he didn't win, but he did everything he needed to do to overcome that, what, 18 points? How about Kyle Busch? Skin of his teeth there up until the end of that race. He he made some made some moves towards the end, but he was within one or two points with under 100 laps to go, and I had the headline written. It was not going to be good. That, that's probably what saved him. One bush was close, and one bush got trimmed, Chuck. Kurt Busch going to the house. Yeah, <laughs> no. The one taking it to the house. But, you know, you can't win them all. More of a shrub. He was out there today at Bubba's Golf Tournament hacking it around. So they're already having a little team bonding. He's already shipped it in, boys, for next year, 23XI. They're already golfing buddies. Do you have on a pair of Jordans out there on the golf course? You definitely know whose golf tournament you were at because it was a combo tournament between with Bubba and Harold Verner. And I think I was one of the only guys there not wearing a pair of J's. So I got to get, I did not get the memo. Was MJ out there? Because, I mean, he is a big golfer. He was not out there. I think everybody in his circle was out there. I guess the vice chairman of the Hornets was out there. A lot of old players. So it was pretty cool. I heard that MJ was in Bristol on Saturday night because let me say this. MJ ain't going to Bristol when it's got dirt on it, Chuck. Say what you want. He's only coming to the night race. I don't know if I believe that uh, because, you know, it that, that dirt race was an awesome thing in the spring. And if it's a night dirt race in the spring, he might be there in that booth looking over it, having a good old time. I don't know. I got fighting words for you, Corey. Let me hear it. All right. I've got facts to back it up. You, you have an Instagram post that says Major League Baseball plays in the middle of a cornfield. Great idea. NASCAR races at the Coliseum. Bad idea. What's, what's the difference in that and dirt? Because our cars 
are not good on dirt surfaces. Then make them good. How do you know they're good in a Coliseum? The format of the race, the weight of our cars, you can't see out of the damn windshield when dust gets on it. So, yes, the way a NASCAR event is structured is not indicative of putting on a good dirt show. Ryan's got something to say. What do you got? You're my buddy, and I like you. But I'm going I'm to ask you a question here. And this is for all you guys. The Bristol Night Race is back. It's a cutoff race for Cup, and it ends the Xfinity Regular Series Championship. The, for, in my opinion, the Xfinity Race set the tone for what the Cup race was going to be. The end of the Xfinity Race, everybody brought it. Yep. Right? When there's that much on the line, is there value? And, and I, I see it that when we, I was, you know, part of the sport when we went to Darlington twice, then when we stopped going to Darlington twice, and it made that race more valuable just having one race there a year. I feel having just one race on Bristol, just the night race at Bristol by itself is enough, right? It, it makes it more of an event. The dirt race is cool. They can do whatever they want on Easter Sunday. Uh, no big deal. One of our cars won it because I put Logano in a dirt car, so I kind of won that race myself. But anyway. Humble brag. Anyway, I think it's a it's a good thing to just go somewhere with the same with the right configuration once a year. I agree with you. I've I've said that before. I think there's something to creating that anticipation around events and don't oversaturate a market. I'm of two minds about it because I love going. I love going to some places twice a year because I just like the town, I like the people, I like the track. But at the same time, when you look at it from the bigger picture of where can you generate more fans, where can you get a sellout? Bristol in the spring for a while was not putting butts in the seats like they are for the fall. You put dirt there, and you're getting more people in the seats. So you're doing what you need to do to get fans there. But did it though? It was on a Monday. I mean, you don't have a good test because it was run on a Monday. And we were still under a little bit of restrictions as to capacity at that point, I believe as well. But did people tune in to watch it? I mean, I'm not Adam Stern. I don't know the TV numbers off the top of my head, but I don't recall it blowing anybody's socks off, let alone warrant the pull the trigger in the middle of the race saying we're going to do it again. How about we like take like a week to think about it? That was what I was in question of. Again, your your numbers are going to be off because it was a rain delayed race. So like you can't compare numbers. It's 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 Fair enough. Yeah, I have a thought related to Bristol. I can make a case that the championship race should be on a Sunday night at Bristol. Not I have every year. I have something too. What about this? Broval, Bristol Roval, Broval. <laughs> 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 mountains are cold <laughs> can i say this can i say this this is yes. going back to march 30th 2021 from jayski monday's rescheduled nascar cup series dirt race from bristol averaged a 1.8 rating and 3.1 million viewers on fox up six percent in ratings and viewership from last year when the race was won and run in may so you're up even during a postponed race <laughs> I think they have to give it another shake. You know, uh, they learned a lot. Well, obviously, we're going to have a new car on there. That You got to give it another shake before you scrap it. And, man, I, I really think that there's value in going places once. The other thing that they're, that's going to bring a ton of value is if this L.A. Coliseum deal gets pulled off correctly and you can build a track virtually anywhere, then you can, you know, take something to any market you want, build it wherever you want. So it makes it even more of an argument to just go to some of these places one time. All-star race moving around to cool places. Just saying. Yep. I'm going to tee you up for a Broval one more time. <laughs> Think about it. It's the shape of the track. It makes a B. That's the road course. On a t-shirt. 
Broval. You have to go outside the track. No, and back it's all in, in the track. No. It's a big B. <laughs> no, I, I don't think you could do that. Uh, Corey is not having it right now. No, no, I'm not. You know who else wasn't having it? Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for the transition. Is there a Broval? Is there a Brawlful? Like, could you? No. Yeah. No, no, no. 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 I'm over it. Okay. And you know who else is over it? Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick, because they talked about it for no less than 45 minutes. I don't talk to my wife to try to figure out where we're going to dinner for more than 20 seconds. They wanted to have four conversations up in the lounge, out on pit road, behind the pit boxes, in the motorhome lot. Like, how much do you have to talk about it, boys? Just either fight or you go home. Don't keep talking about it. Did you hear Kevin in one of the, uh, I think it was one of Bianchi's clips, he told Chase he was going to run his ass over from here on out? Like, Yes, I heard that. I watched it all. Jordan Bianchi, great clip, by the way. Loved it. Doing his job. I was way to stand dying in. laughing with that. Dude, Bianchi got that business, too. So from what I understand, you know, I run into Clyde at the golf tournament today. Did you run into his left side? Because he's tired of that shit. I run into his left side. I said, I'll be honest. I haven't watched her race back. Where did it start? And he said, start. Shit, it started six months ago when he run into my side of Darlington. I'm like, okay, I get it. So there's a sore spot between Chase and Kevin. I'll be honest. I don't race around Kevin Harvick enough to see what his tendencies are. Chase seems to think that Harvick's a guy that kind of uses you up down the straightaway a little bit and maybe with or without the intention of cutting a left side tire down. And it happened to Chase on Saturday night. And he thought that that justified him may or may not kind of messing with him enough to let the five car win at, at Bristol. What was your opinion start to finish Chuck on how that all transpired? My opinion is I am glad to see a little bit of fire out of Chase Elliott and to basically step up and, you know, not get bullied in the right word, not get bowled over by Kevin Harvick, someone who has a reputation for, you know, he's, he's a veteran in the sport. He's one of those guys that's always been there and he's got a long list of rivals, right? He's gotten into altercations. You've seen it with Chase a couple of times now where he has stood up to these veterans and stood up to them and said, no, this is, I'm a champion now. This is my sport. I'm going to race you like this. This is how it's going to be. Like, it was good to see on my end from that perspective. The only thing, you know, Merriman will talk about this before. Like, when I see Kevin Harvick get out of the car and he leaves his helmet on, I'm like, dude, like, mm. He's just a proponent of cranial safety on pit road. Flores wears his helmet on pit road. Kevin Harvick wears his helmet on pit road. You got to protect your chicken, as Marshawn Lynch would say. Um but you got to take the helmet off. <laughs> you got to either keep the like take the glasses off or take the helmet off. One of the two's got to go. I don't think in the moment you're thinking about taking your helmet off. Yeah, yes you are. Chase had his shit off already. You yes you are. You're thinking about that. Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I would take it off personally. I mean, if you're going to go, you got to go. So they were mad at two different things, right? Harvick was mad that the 9 put tires back on and then he more or less cost him a race. Harvick's comments were, you don't race smart. Now I'm just going to run you the F over. Where Chase was mad that Harvick seems to have a tendency to run into his left side. Maybe not. Who knows? In Chase's eyes and by Chase's definition, he seemed to think that's what he does. I'm interested to see how this carries over deep into the playoffs because obviously the nine's going to be, he's the reigning champion. He's going to be uh, making a run deep 
the playoffs, especially that those round of eight races really suit him and that nine team well. Where the four car, that was probably their only shot within the next couple of weeks to make a legitimate run to get some points, and they weren't able to get on the board and transfer in the next round. So crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. I'm kind of just happy they both lost. That's a bad take or not, I'm not sure. Or why are you happy they both Well, just not a huge Harvick fan. Um, just kind of the way he, you know, carries himself. And he's kind of always struck me as a bully, you know, when people stick up to him. Just always looked at him as a bully, right? And then I look at Chase. Race how you want to be raced, right? You can't throw a hissy fit when you get run into when you clean Logano out there last year. You can't throw a hissy fit when Denny spins you out of Martinsville when f- four laps before the two car dominated the whole race and you took them to the woodshed on a restart. So if you're going to scum people and you get scummed, he drove out there, came out, he took a swipe at him, right? He took a swipe at him, right side of him. The same thing Harvick did to him, even like down the straightaway. And then he hung out and did that. One thing I will say is Kevin Harvick, you know, is kind of perceived as like a tough guy and I'm not much for fighting and I'm not going to do that at this level. There's a lot on the line at this level, but golly, for the amount of time that he had his finger stuck in his face, that was crazy to me. Is this? So you're saying? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chuck. You got it. Go ahead. No, no, you go. All right. No, no, I want you to go. I was going to say, is this the frustration for Kevin Harvick for the follow-up to the season he had last year, where he wins nine races, then he comes into this year, he hadn't won a race. There's a lot of frustration, and then he gets into a little bit of an incident there, and that's just, you know what, this is it. I'm going to, like, my boiling point is a lot. I'm going to boil over a lot quicker this year because I haven't had the season that I want. Absolutely. And it's also a crown jewel race that he lost. You got to think. It's a big race. That is a big race, and he had it literally in his grasp, and he thought that, that Chase took it away. So, yeah, I mean, it would have been big. It would have been the first – the first win for Stewart House Racing all year after winning nine races uh, last year. Well, I think collectively they probably won 11. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Eric Almirola won one in New Hampshire. But for the first for the four team and pretty much the first for that organization, you know, all year long for what we're used to seeing out of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had every right to be pissed. And that was probably one of the most pissed off I've seen Kevin Harvick. I remember being a little kid when he jumped over the deck lid of Greg Bilbo's car in that, in that Bush series race and grabbed the hold of him. He's never really been in like a, you know, like a hands-on scuffle. Um, you know, I think him and Juan Pablo got after it a little bit there, but you know, you haven't really seen what Kevin Harvick's made of when the old gloves are dropped and helmets are off. I'd like, I'd like to see it. What did Mike Tyson say? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> Yeah, and I guarantee, I mean, nobody wants to get punched in the face, but, you know, sometimes if you're that mad, sometimes you might have to punch somebody in the face. Dude, best Kevin Harvick fight moment when he got, I've watched a lot of them here this last week, just trying to understand. But when he got out of the car at Darlington to go punch Kyle Bush, and Kyle pushed the car and it started and drove him in the fence, and then Kyle just drove on him, all of his guys were on pit road flipping him off. Yeah. <laughs> that was a classic move. I also like the the Texas. Uh, it wasn't a fight that he was. Well, he was involved in it by uh, doing a little bit of instigation uh, with uh, Brad and Jeff. Brad and Jeff. Hey, That's a lot of the same thing. Yeah. What happened here? You know, three wide, cut a tire down. He pushed Brad in there. Said he had the fight. Really and truly, what sparked all this was a backmarker car that was getting lapped often. So we decided to bring on a guest who has kind of been active on Twitter uh, over the past couple of months. He's been fairly new following the sport. Bernard Pollard uh, used to play safety for the Indiana NFL. He won a Super Bowl. So I'm excited to talk to him later just to really explain 
why cars are so far off the pace specifically at Bristol. But all right, guys, we had this round. What's the what's the races? We go to Vegas, Talladega, Kansas. Roval. All right. So the guys from the outside at this moment, outside looking in, are Joey Logano, that guy that he changed tires for, Brad Kozlowski, Christopher Bell, and Kevin Harvick. Out of those four, who makes it and who does not? Two car. Sorry, Flores. I I don't think the two car makes it. I don't see Harvick making it. I don't think the 24 makes it. And the 20's going home. So that's who I got. Man, I think Brad better speedway racers there is i mean that's the thing like logano and keselowski are both solid solid speedway racers as well so they're not as good as denny and blaney though i don't think oh who won the last race at talladega merriman i don't you tell me oh us i'm sorry and we finished second <laughs> in vegas so if you look at the average finish for the first two races we are the best if you look at the average finish for the third race which is a road course we are the worst so we will see how that goes. So you need to get through these first two and maybe get a win there to kind of lock yourself into that next round is what you're saying. I would say so. But last year, you know, we finished fifth at the at the uh, Royal Bowl. So, or sixth, you know. So uh, I'm not real sure what to think there. But I, I do think the 48 and the 24 have had a little bit of a chink in their armor and we'll see where they go. And I don't like the way the 18's trending. I'm just so going to say, ask Ask me after Talladega, and then I'll tell you who might make it. Hey, ask me after the Roval. I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) I just think Um, there's a lot that can happen between Vegas and Talladega to shuffle up. You've got 12 – like, Harvick's 12 points back. Like, there's a lot that can happen. I don't think those four are necessarily the four that are going to be out, maybe one or two of them. What's Larson's cushion? Larson – 46. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was gonna. It's an entire race of cushion. I was gonna say, like, to transition to the Larson thing when you're talking about like punches in the face, like talk about somebody that punched the field in the face. Kyle Larson going out and getting another win. I mean, six wins this year. It's pretty good. Yeah, I still think I called it. I don't know three months ago on SiriusXM that he was going to have over nine and a half wins uh, on the year. So I think it. Certainly possible. What's a half a win consist of? Yeah. He's got 14 stage wins, so that's a half win. <laughs> well, that's how they call it, right? You can't win nine and a half. You either win nine or you win ten. <laughs> because if I say he has over ten wins, then you could think that he has had to, has to have 11 wins. What is the difference between having over nine and a half wins and having over nine wins? <laughs> I don't know. It's the betting thing. I don't know. Listen to Jack <laughs> <laughs> Well, do you think he gets to that uh, that double digit ten wins? Like, is is this no. the season that we could see somebody do that? Nope. Yeah. No. Yep. Nope. Dude, yeah, he won. I mean, he won Vegas the first time. Why not? Why couldn't he bag it up there? He's got to win four of the last seven to do that. I'm gonna take that half and put that with the All Star race. So yes, he only has to win three more races because I get the half. Ooh. You're worse than my wife playing Monopoly, just making rules up as we go. Hey, not a bad. That's pretty good. Heard that. I'm excited to go to. Uh, I'm excited to go to Vegas. We have the old Bill Bar on on the car this weekend. It's my birthday on Saturday too, the night before the race. So hey, happy birthday! Yeah, thanks. Um, speaking of birthday, Chuck and the boys played at the old birthday party this past week. Dirty Chuck and the boys. Chuck and the boys. Uh, how to feel to dust off the old guitars and come out there and strum along? 
Well, first couple of laps, uh, we were struggling, uh, almost got into the wall a couple of times, but, you know, we got her straightened out there and uh, finished strong, had a top five performance, I think. It wasn't, wasn't our best, but it was up there, uh, one of our solid uh, performances. Really uh, looking forward to heading out uh, next week and doing some more uh, work on the songs and uh, getting her dialed in for some good musical uh, action. How's that for a post-race interview? So what you're saying is you got a half a win. No, no, we got to work on the post-race interview for sure. I really want to thank uh, Corey LaJoy for having me out. Uh, you know, gave me a really strong uh, stage to to perform on. No, he actually took away the stage. Screw that guy. Yeah, I don't even want to get into that story <laughs> here because it was a shit show of a night from top to bottom. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come find me at a track sometime and I'll tell you that story. Yes. You guys know yeah. what I got Corey for his birthday? Can of Alfredo sauce. Not only did I get him, I got him a bottle of whiskey. And I also handed him an ass whip in an obstacle course. <laughs> yeah, by six inches, you might have beat me out of there. Inch or a mile, I'll take the dozen. <laughs> and I was several beers deep by that point in time. Even two-time Bush Series champion Randy LaJoy, right off of Merriman's right shoulder, was feeling pretty good that night as well. So it was a good time. He went down the slide. It was fun to watch. Yeah, he was he was in rare form, for mm -hmm. sure. So I'm interested to see who's going to be in rare form this weekend. I don't know. Hopefully we can run top 20. Stay tuned. We got killer guests coming up in Bernard Pollard. Uh, we have also the, uh, I don't know, what, what's Keegan Lee? What, what's he do? He's a racing contender for the championship this year. He just won Bristol. So he's, uh, he's got a lot of money on the line coming up here uh, after Talladega the 28th and then Texas two weeks after that, I believe. So well, Keegan's going to be in the mix. We're going to check in with him, see how his playoff contention's going. So stick around for more stacking pennies. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys, I am super pumped up to welcome a very special guest to Stack and Pennies, Mr. Bernard Pollard. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, brother. Thank you. That's awesome to hear. Now, so you had a tweet that sparked up some conversation, got a lot of got a lot of attention. It was this. I asked these questions with all due respect. How are the cars that are consistently getting lapped every race in the Cup Series? How is it that they're not competing? I understand money, but if you can put a car on the track, how is it that car isn't competing? To give this a little bit of context as to why you're joining this show, the easiest thing I can, can relate it to is the act of, of playing baseball, right? So there's a pitch coming and you try to hit the baseball. Some people are swinging a bat like the old Mark McGuire cannon bats that were about a foot long. 
about the size of a telephone pole. Right, right. There are some guys swinging those little damn paper straws that you get in a Starbucks cup to crumple, crumple up after two sips. The goal to achieve is to still try to hit the ball, but the chances of somebody hitting and achieving that task with a telephone pole is a hell of a lot easier than somebody achieving it with one of those little floppy paper straws. I think that the people that are fairly new to the sport or don't know the te technical side of the sport, um, that's why really and truly we started this podcast because the trajectory of my career has been slow. In the ARCA division, which is what used to be k and I used to race Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, uh, Bubba, and these guys, then I finished second points behind Kyle Larson by four points, finished ahead of Chase and Bubba and Blaney and all those guys on a little bit more of a level playing field. As their trajectories, Ryan got linked up with Penske, like those guys went on their way. Obviously, Chase is an NASCAR Cup champion. Kyle Larson's doing his thing as well, as well as Bubba. Disparity in equipment got further the higher you go. And a point of conversation that's been on the broadcast this past couple of weeks, case in point, our car at Daytona. I'm sure you watched that race because that race was electric. We crossed the white flag, running second, pushing Ryan Blaney, had a shot to win. Well, my team saw the value of taking what we normally consider a B motor. There's tiers of engines, right? So not everybody has the same motor. There's A tier, which you lease at like $110,000 a race. There's a B tier that you can lease for, call it 75 grand a race. I'm not sure about these particular numbers now. And there's like a C, right? So it really depends on sponsorship levels. It depends on really and truly if a team can justify spending an extra 35 grand if they can make it back up in the purse when you're sitting on your couch watching and i don't want to pick on anybody in particular but you're watching the 15 you're watching the 52 the 53 and some other guys get lapped very frequently it's because they have multiple generations old cars probably a c tier if not lower engine because the amount of funding those guys have on the front end they can't justify spending that much more from the purse they're getting on the back end. And, and that really opens the can of worms. And, and we can we could take this conversation whichever way you want it to go. It really comes down to a financial thing. And not everybody has the same, the, the same parts and pieces and even motor deals because that's why NASCAR saw the value in going to this next-gen car. Because there's parts that Spire Motorsports we can't buy the shocks that Gibbs runs because they have a special set of shocks, right? We can't buy and run the brake calipers that Penske has. They have their own brake calipers, right? There's left side truck arms that Gibbs develops that are super good and, and you can't buy this because they're all internal intellectual properties. So there are th things that don't trickle down the pipeline that a, a smaller team with a smaller budget can't get. Bruh. <laughs> Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. All right, I know that was a lot, and I know that was like a fire hose of information. Without digging too much in the technical aspect, pick one of those elements that a fan needs to probably understand better from the broadcast. I had no clue. I, obviously, I'm green to all of this, but I had no clue, as you just explained, the different tiers of engines. And literally, and, and, and I... I you know, you saying leasing an engine. Yeah, because the teams don't own it. Yeah, the teams don't own it. They just lease it for a race. The Hendrick show, in our particular case, we let we lease a Hendrick motor. The box truck shows up on a Monday morning. Those guys bolt it in, and then when we take it back out, those guys pick it back up and take it back. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
this, this is, and I want to stay on track, but this is so different because I hear a lot of people try to compare, you know, they try to say about NFL teams where they say, okay, well, the Jacksonville Jaguars still line up and those guys still get paid. And there's a difference. Obviously you have profit sharing. You still have elite talent on the football field every single Sunday. I I try to have this, this conversation with a lot of people when they try to compare tell me I should understand NASCAR. And I'm looking like, no, I can't understand NASCAR because I'm wired for NFL business. And so when, when I'm hearing all of this, you know, and I, I saw this on Twitter. And, 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 and so you're essentially telling me if you're leasing this engine, this engine, the odds of it being the top tier engine isn't likely. So we're okay with going in and placing where we place just to get a run. Everybody from about 28th to 29th every week in points has an A tier engine. Uh, what would kind of be considered an A minus B plus, it kind of fluctuates, but there is an obvious difference between uh, when we got the A motor for Daytona and how well we run at Darlington versus, you know, what we normally ran. So, but like when you go and you're looking at a, a team from 33rd on back, those teams are, are trying to run on a shoestring budget because they don't have much sponsorship money coming through the front door for, to put stickers on the car, and they, don't, they have less money coming in the back door from purse. So those teams are running maybe on an $80,000 a week budget, and it cost them $85,000. You know? So if, if they went and spent $80,000 more on an on a engine lease, it, don't, it might only get them four or five spots. So those, that really is a financial decision. Now, that's not the difference between somebody that runs 22nd to 12th, because a lot of those times those guys have the parts and pieces uh, and it's really just who kind of hits on it. You know, a guy that we could use for a perfect example is Alex Bowman. Him and I started in the cup series at the same team was a BK. It was BK racing. It's now shut down. We were those guys, 32nd, 33rd on a good day. Um, You know, and you physically cannot show what you're capable of. Now he's winning multiple races a year, Hendrick Motorsports. He's a playoff contender. All that is, is from sitting on a faster horse. Now, granted, he got more experience and he did this and that, but he went through four or five tough years there of grinding it out with Tommy Ball and racing, went back to junior motorsports and he got the planets aligned with him, right? When junior got hurt, he hopped in and hauled ass at Phoenix. He made a career for himself, but even Alex Bowman, he could have been flushed out if he didn't get the opportunities just as quick. Cause you just don't really know you, if you're in it every week and kind of know the people's budgets and kind of know the personnel on every team, you know, look at somebody and, and kind of figure out what their potential ceiling is, but you really don't know what somebody's capable of until you see somebody, you know, in a, in an A car uh, consistently. So it's tough. It's tough to explain. And, and I'm glad you hopped on and, and asked those questions. I would love to just kind of hear like when you first got into the sport, how do you, like how you see it and versus how, you know, the technical side, it's not like everybody's running with the same cleats on, you know, some guys right. have some tungsten insoles and their shoes weigh 40 pounds trying to keep up with the guy that runs four two. it ain't going to happen. Um, right. So it, as much as a lot of the stuff is, I guess nothing's really equal, but it's, it's unlike a lot of stick and ball sports where I can hit the weight room six days a week and be able to bench press 315 pounds. It ain't going to make my race car go any faster, you know, but there's a little bit of fitness aspect to it to be able to to keep your heart rate low to keep your mental clarity solid at the end of the race after you burn 2500 3000 calories 
you're really dependent on, on what you're sitting on sometimes. And I think that's why this next gen car is going to be a good direction. NASCAR is going to go. So mentally for drivers. So when you were in that position and you know, some of these other guys that are in that position consistently, I've heard a lot of people tell me on Twitter, it, it's purely for the love of driving. They love driving. They love getting out there. But for me as an athlete, you know, I didn't want to renegotiate, like I, I renegotiated a three-year deal with the Tennessee Titans. And after my second year, I ruptured my Achilles. I, I had, uh, I told them, I'm, I know this is going to be a rebuild for next year. I don't want to be here. So as you know, I, I wanted to walk away from that because I just didn't want to deal with that anymore. What's the mindset for drivers when you're in that situation? Because I'm looking at it from the football side of it, but for you guys, I understand you love it. I love football, I, but I did not want to put myself in that situation for 16 games plus practice every week, dealing with meetings and everything else. What's the mindset? Bro, I love that question. And it tees it up perfect because that's why we started stacking pennies. That's actually where the, the hashtag stacking pennies and just my mantra comes from. And I'll explain it to you because probably never heard it. So when I first started the team, I mentioned at BK racing, right? I had won in everything I've ran in in my life you know like i didn't make it here because we had a bunch of sponsors like it was my dad taking me to the racetrack with a couple high school buddies and we would just go show up and take the trophies and go home right went through a bunch of ups and downs so i had to pretty much rebuild my career the mid-tier xfinity car got that shot with with bk racing and in the first six races it's like what am i like what am i doing i mean i am i am in the way for 35th I'm that guy that the guys are flipping off because I can't get out of the way fast enough. I'm crashing stuff. Stuff's falling off. Like, do I even like it anymore? Like, and the answer to that was no. So, you know, people think in this, like this taboo and, and, and this and that, but like, I saw, I started seeing a sports psychologist to just figure out, okay, like, this is what I wanted to do since I was 12 years old. Like, I am here, you know, I've, I've always wanted to, to drive a cup car and granted it wasn't fast and it wasn't paying good and it's not fun. And cause you're getting in the back, like, what can we learn now that can apply five years from now? And when I do get a shot can apply. So we actually had to figure out like tangible things throughout the course of the weekend. A couple of those being like your pit road rolling speed. It doesn't matter how fast of a car you have, you can kind of pay attention and you can, they rank your pit road rolling speed. My goals were to try to be in the top 10 of pit road rolling speeds with no penalties, a positive restart position retention. You know, after the course of the day, if I gained more positions on restarts than I lost, that was a penny. If I made no mistakes on pit road, if I got no damage, like little tiny things that you look at and nobody like celebrates, those were pennies. So I just, we literally started stacking pennies to keep myself motivated so I can pay attention more on pit road. So I can be, get on pit road faster under green flag pit stop. So I, they can rank that as well. So now when I have the pit road stuff nailed down, when I have positive restart retention, when I have fast green flag entries and exits, all those things are the, what's gaining us spots when we have a 22nd place car and we finish 17th or 18th. And that's going to be the difference when I'm in a 10th place car. That's the stuff that can make or break and win your races possibly. So for me, it was talking to the sports psychologist to figure out the small victories that you can quantify to keep yourself motivated each and every week. Because if not, you get hammered. The more you try, sometimes it even goes the opposite way. So I, I love the fact that you answered that because 
you know, a, 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 somebody who's engaging with that tweet you put up was Garrett Smithley. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys like that who, you know, it's easy to read the trolls on Twitter and Instagram and get no validation for what you're doing behind the wheel. And it's easy to get beat down. So that's why really and truly we started this podcast to give them a peek behind the curtain to kind of know what a driver's going through, what a pit crew member's going through. So that's uh, you know, that's a great question as to why you even do it. Because sometimes I'll be honest, man, I do wonder why I'm doing it. I leave the track like, do I know what the hell I'm doing? Doing the small things that I've learned here over the past four or five years will apply if our Spire Motorsports team can get to where we have solid funding and we can compete for wins consistently, or if you know, if another opportunity becomes available, because it's those little things that Kyle Larson's done well, right? Kevin Harvick, like the guys who run consistent do those small things well. And those are the ones that add up the trophies. So it's, uh, I think for me, it's experience and learning and trying to find those small victories. If I didn't have as good of a rapport or communication with my owners on like, this is a long-term plan. Like we can get caught up on putting the blinders on and saying, well, we could run here, here, and here at these places. If we would just spend X, X, and X, well, that might be fine for six weeks, but we're in this thing for three to the next five, six, seven years, potentially. So, you know, I want to be part of the the solution rather than the problem of being in there, banging my fist on the table. Like you better give me all the stuff I need, or I'm not going to be able to do it. Well, everybody knows everybody's grown up in the sport within our team. Ryan Sparks uh, has been a racer from, from his, for his entire life. He spent a lot of time at RCR. So he knows the tools it takes to run, to, to be able to win races, as well as my owner's, TJ and Jeff Dickerson, um, everybody on board, Steve Latart, who works for NBC, so he used to work at Hendrick, but now he's pretty much our competition director. Everybody inside of Spire Motorsports is realistic. So it makes it easier for me as a driver, you know, to, to kind of tamp down that competitive spirit and also play the long game a bit and, and kind of be a team player because it, it's, it's not rains off every weekend we want to take care of our equipment but we also know what we're capable of doing so i think setting realistic expectations is certainly important and and having good people that are all pulling the rope the same direction no matter what sport it is no matter if it's racing whether it's a football team or just in everyday life you got to have people that are behind you and, and that's why i'm so content with where i'm at because i know we're going to be cont- consistently getting better every week and every year if an opportunity comes along for you to potentially go somewhere else, right? How hard is it for you to walk away from the situation you're in? And, you know, will the guys that you've been in it for the long haul with, do they truly understand? Or is it like, okay, well, no, we want to do more. We want to go find a bigger budget to try to keep you. Uh, Yeah, I think that it's all situational. you know, and I think regardless, I mean, a lot of guys that I raced with last year with the 32 car, I took a lot of them with me because I knew what, what we were capable of doing as a, as a unit. If we get some, some better cars and engines, I feel like we've shown that several times. So it, it really depends on how much they're going to pay you. I mean, that's just right. like if, uh, if you're, you know, if you, if you wave at them guys on the way out or if you stick around with them and, and try to make something of it. So it's all situational. And if there was an OEM back team, that, that had a spot for me, I, like those guys would like, especially TJ and Jeff both. I have you know, a great relationship with those guys. Like they would gladly see me progress my career if, if there was a better opportunity on the table. Um, because when we, you know, I, I passed up a better opportunity that was on the table for me 
this time last year to drive for maybe a short term, a little bit better team, maybe a slightly little bit more money. But I viewed that I viewed what we're trying to do at Spire. I, I thought that I was going to get more, you know, I guess more contentment, more joy out of building something from literally an empty shop floor into what we're going to have this thing in two or three years. Hopefully it's going to be a, you know, a fringe playoff contending team. And I, for me, that's what my grind has been in the sport from day one. Like I want to be part of building something. I don't really want to be handed the keys. Now, granted, if Mr. H wanted me to hand me the keys to one of his rides, I would gladly bolt right in that sucker. But um, yeah. for where I'm at right now, man, in my stage of my career, I'm super happy and it's a really fun job. And, and we get to do have we do have fun runs occasionally. Every, a lot of other weeks, it's, it's a grind. And I think that just having people like yourself on and, and guests that come on the show to be able to show the, our listeners, because by the way, we're getting a ton more. People are yelling, stacking pennies at me everywhere I go, which I appreciate all of y'all that listen. Um, to give those guys a peek behind the curtain to kind of see what the life of, you know, somebody that doesn't win races, doesn't get a lot of TV time goes through. It's been a lot of fun for let them to like come along with my journey and, and with help with people like yourself that, that ask the questions that people are thinking uh, that we're able to answer them things. It's been, it's been great, man. Dude, that's, that, that's awesome. I hear fans talk about this next gen car, right? And, and so I obviously I, I race, I love getting on in the rig and, 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 and running, but I hear a lot of fans say that next gen, and, and I'm hearing you say differently, but a lot of fans say next gen is going to destroy the sport. You're saying next gen is going to kind of even the playing field a little bit and, you know, kind of help all the drivers. Tell me, because I, I heard you about Penske maybe having, you know, certain parts that, you know, other, you know, other drivers can't use. Will that be the same under this next gen car? So number one, it absolutely is not going to destroy the sport whatsoever. Now, if I was a driver for one of those teams that had special parts that we were winning every other week, and now you're telling me I got to drive the same car as the guy that's running 32nd, I'd probably be a little bit, uh, you know, ruffled as well. Now, for me, on the other hand, if I can buy the same lower control arms or set of shocks or brakes or within reason, the rear end, like, as the next guy, I would hope, like, I would take some of that brunt, like, all right, come on, like, let's, let's pull the gloves up and let's get after it. Uh, there's still going to be some separation between the teams that have, you know, the, the smartest engineers, the, the best people with time to massage on their finished product of a car to get a little more downforce, to make it a little bit lighter. Uh, but you're not going to get beat knowing that you have different parts than the next guy. You're going to have the same parts and pieces that, any other team is going to have. It's just a matter about how you put those pieces together and set your car up and, and how, how the driver does. So I, I love it. There are some things that you can, you know, highlight and say, well, you know, this is not maybe as good as what we had this time or X or Y. Uh, but generally speaking, the direction we're going with this next gen car, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Now there's going to be kinks. You got to work out through the course of the year. It's a brand new car that we're going to be taking the tracks that we've never taken them to, but, but in the whole scope of things, three years, five years from now, there's going to be more high profile owners coming in because it's actually a, a reasonable expense to own a race team. We've seen, you know, athletes, Michael Jordan, uh, Pitbull, some big guys that see value coming into the sport. We're going to see more of that because instead of having to spend $30 million a year to be a championship contending team, you can spend 15 to 18. I mean, that's about half of what it was, 
uh, currently. So I think it should be a lot more appetizing to the sponsors, should be a lot more appetizing to new owners trying to come in and get a piece of the sport. So, and we see NASCAR on their own side making big moves like we're going to LA Coliseum for a temporary race. Like those sort of things are going to keep the sport on this upward trajectory of energy, man. It's going to be super fun to be a part of and, and to get just people like yourself to keep spreading the word. Like, Hey man, NASCAR is a cool sport. It's inclusive. Like the stuff to do with the racetrack is cool. You're not going to bump into anybody that's going to say a certain thing like that stuff as a whole NASCAR is going the right direction in, in a lot of ways. Will there still be a lease? Like, so you said, like with the engines, like you got an A, you lease an A engine B. Will there, will there still be that? It, it will be. Um, and I think our plan expires to upgrade to an A. Um, you know, that's, like I said, it's probably a $30,000 per week addition in bottom line price. So we're going to have to go to work and sell sponsors over the off season. And hopefully that shows up in the results. Yes, there still will be that. And then I wanted to touch on like for a brief second, like the, 2024 there's gonna be a new engine package coming out so i believe next year there's gonna be an engine development free so nobody can develop anything beyond that for the 2020 end of 2022 and 23 season and then when we see a new engine uh model come in that's going to entice some new manufacturers come in whether it be honda volkswagen fiat uh, dodge perhaps uh, whether that be a hybrid morph or uh, something to do, you know, get a little more upgraded into what's more in our, our street cars every day. So once you see that engine deal change slightly, it'll be more appealing to get some new OEMs. And that's when business is going to pick up for real. When we get another two or three OEMs, because then the the money just trickles down the, the whole field. Because now being, you know, if you've got 14 or 15 Chevy teams, they can only really support financially with, with money and technology, let's just call it 10 teams, right? Those bottom, those bottom four or five teams are getting the scraps, whether that be a Chevrolet or a Ford. So if you get two or one or two more manufacturers in, those teams can latch their, their hooks into a, a different manufacturer and be closer to that, that technology disparity. Uh, and, and I think that's when we're really seeing NASCAR back to the level it was in that, you know, mid 2000s when people were packing the houses and, and a lot of people were, uh, you know, making money and it was a legitimate business. So, man, so you were an NFL player for nine seasons, successful career, Super Bowl champ, by the way, with the Baltimore Ravens. And I was, I'm always find it interesting that somebody genuinely latches onto the sport and embraces it. And you, you have taken that baton and ran with it right now. It's super cool to see you do a lot of work with ally. You do a lot of work with Hendrick motorsports as well. So what was it that just sucked you into NASCAR and becoming a fan? You know, Corey, I think for me coming up from where I, I, I came from racing was never a thing for me, you know, sports, uh, track, football, basketball, that was always the go-to. I think, you know, at, at 36 years old, I, I ended up watching a, uh, my, my wife was watching something. I, I, she was watching CNN, walked in and was uh, Don Lennon was interviewing uh, Bubba Wallace. So coming up, it's always been the thing where black people didn't watch NASCAR. Black people didn't do any racing. Black people wasn't allowed. And so once I heard it, you know, one or two three, you know times, it was just one of those things where we just kind of blocked it out. And so everybody from the hood, we just, we always just stuck to our sports. So that caught my attention to hear Bubba. Cause I mean, just to hear that name, I was like, wait a minute, that's a brother. 
And I'm like, so everything that was told to me coming up was just like, okay, well, no, that's the furthest thing from the truth. So now I'm, I'm watching Bubba and I'm, I'm looking, okay, he's a racer. And then I was like, okay, I need to learn something different. You know, the NFL world, the football world, I know. Basketball, I know. Track, I know. But, you know, when it comes down to, you know, learning something and being able to offer my children something else, I was just like, okay, I want to dive into this and I want to learn it. And I think the first race, because uh, it was talking about COVID and everything else, but the first race, that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was Martinsville that I ended up watching. And I mean, I was told there's no strategy. I was told that all you do is go fast. I was told that there's no teamwork and everything that I watched in that race was completely opposite of what I was told. And, you know, I, I continue to say this, I don't want to take away from anybody's experience. You know, if they dealt with negative experience with NASCAR as a black man, black woman, whatever other nationality, if you've dealt with something, I'm not taking that away. But for me, it has been nothing but amazing I've watched this sport just completely explode in my life and for other people. So it's been really cool. Man, and I appreciate you just noticing the changes that NASCAR is trying to make to make everybody feel just more comfortable going to the racetrack. And something I always love to dig into with athletes from different sports, yourself being in, in the football realm, how similar the mindset and the mental preparedness aspect goes into uh, being a football player to being a race car driver, because I don't think a lot of people can relate the two. So what do you think, the more you get dig into it, the more you get to know Alex and, and Bubba and some other drivers, were you not expecting the mental strength it takes, I guess, to be a race car driver? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, preparing for a game versus preparing for a race, you know, I've been at a couple tracks now, and I, I've, I've been a couple races, and, and, and I've watched Alex uh, I've gotten a chance to talk to Alex uh, before the race uh, and, and, and I've seen other drivers kind of, you guys have been on golf carts, you know, you know, talking to people here and there and, and, and kind of going around the track and, you know, before qualifying or after qualifying, whatever it may be. And I look at the access that fans have and I'm just like, yo, that is, that blows my mind because in the NFL world, that access is not allowed. And uh, I think that's one of the exciting things about the sport of racing is they want fans to be able to see their favorite driver. They want the fans to be able to, you know, kind of get closest they can to be able to see uh, what these guys are doing, the guys and girls are doing uh, with these cars and with their teams. And, and I think, you know, for me, uh, preparing for a football game, I couldn't talk to anybody outside because my mindset, it had to be be ready to, to hit at all times, be ready to pr uh, protect every blade of grass behind me. So, you know, I'm like, you know, our communication got to be right. You know, it's, it's not the headset with the, you know, the OC or the DC, it's with the other 10 guys on the field that I have to be able to make checks and audibles and all the other stuff. And I mean, you guys are doing the same thing, but I think it's just really neat to be able to see, for me to be able to see you guys take that to be able to communicate with fans and to be able to do all of these things before a race, but then to get mentally prepared to go do 400 laps at a race. And I'm just like, dog, that is so crazy. And I mean, that's exciting for me because I get a chance, once again, I wanted to give my, myself an opportunity to be able to learn a different sport and to be able to kind of dive into it. And just to see all of this, man, I'm completely blown away. I, I don't want to let you go, but every guest on here, we ask three, would you rather question? So you mentioned that you went to... Uh, you went to Nashville Super Speedway, so you have some experience with racetrack food. Would you rather 
drink nothing but racetrack lemonade for a month or eat racetrack hot dogs? I probably would eat the hot dogs. I'm not really, I don't drink a lot of juice, so I probably would do the hot dogs. All right, number two, would you rather blow a right front and hit the wall at Daytona or have to tackle Adrian Peterson? Oh, I'm slapping that sucker. Hey, you getting hit, brother. You're slapping Adrian Peterson. Hey, brother, that's what I do now. Hey, hey, you already knew the answer to that one. I know you probably probably can pull some tape on it and run it in the show. All right. Number three. And you mentioned you're a big eye racing guy. We need to get you in real life in one, but that's a conversation for a later date. But now if you had to pick one race car and one racetrack to race at for the rest of Bernard's life, what are you going with? I'm going when you say one way, one one race car. What do you mean? Like when you click on the little arrow on iRacing and 47 different race cars show up, which one are you picking on that list? I probably would go. I mean, I really only race the Camaro and, and the Cup, or, or yeah, mm-hmm. the Cup Series. Yeah, and I probably would race. Uh, I probably would race Daytona. That that's a good one. All right, let me let me flip let me flip the script since you're our first football guest. If you had to pick high school, college, or pro, and any stadium or arena in the world, where are you? What are you playing? What level are you playing? And what stadium are you playing? I'm probably going to go. I love playing. I probably could go pro and playing in New England, uh, Foxborough. That. I mean, the fans hate me. I don't like them. I don't like the players. I can't stand the players or the coaches. Um, those were the games where I hurt a lot of players. So, yeah, I remember I almost broke a guy. And forgive me, I almost broke a guy's neck running through the uh, line. And so, yeah, I, I love that. I love playing the Foxborough, man. I love mm. playing the Patriots. Well, there you have it, Penny Stackers. Our guest this week, Bernard Pollard. Man, I appreciate you coming on the show so much and asking cool, cool questions. We will definitely have you back. And let's link up at a racetrack. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me, bro. Good stuff. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. 
All right, welcome into the eNASCAR segment, refreshed by Coca-Cola. Corey's out playing a little golf, so you're stuck with me and Flores for this and last week's Bristol winner in the Coca-Cola iRacing Series. Keegan Leahy, one step closer to a fat payday at the end of that Texas race. Get to relax a little bit there at Talladega. I can imagine that'll ease your mind a little bit to get ready for that Texas race uh, coming up here next month. Yeah, absolutely. I saw that on the schedule as soon as they released it earlier this year that Talladega is the final race of our first round of the playoffs. And I kind of expected going into it that I would have to be racing my way in, assuming I got into the playoffs, of course. But um, yeah, I got lucky and had a really good race at Bristol. And uh, yeah, I don't have to think about that at all now. I've been covering the series for uh, for a few years. I don't think I've ever seen the parody that I've seen this year. So this win at Bristol was your second win of the year. Had a lot of guys, a couple guys with wins that didn't even get into the playoffs because there were so many winners this year. How tough has it been? How tough of a sledding will it be once you guys get to Texas and you're deciding where that money goes between four guys? Yeah, you said it. The parity is so close now. Before the playoffs started, we had 14 regular season races, and the only guy with multiple wins was my teammate Mitchell DeYoung. And they were both at road courses where we expected him to dominate. But yeah, now with Bobby and me both uh, winning in the playoffs, we have two wins each as well. It's really hard to win these races now. In previous years, there was a bit more setup difference. You know, some of the drivers might have been better than the others. But I said it after my Bristol win that even catching lap traffic, it felt like I hardly had an advantage. You know, I led every lap in the race. And I could hardly pass a lap car for 38th. So yeah, everyone's really strong. And Texas, really, it's a bit of a crapshoot based off how you qualify and how the race goes. All right. Well, my, my pit road, or Corey's pit road boats and woes analyst is uh, sitting in the sim rig uh, in his house. So Flores, what you got for Keegan Leahy here? So Keegan, you might not know this, but I was Corey LaJoy's crew chief for the NASCAR Pro Series. And um, we sucked. And that was great. We did do good at Talladega with a P2 finish there. I think Ty Dillon is still sore from wrecking his sim rig there. But going into Talladega this weekend, obviously, much like probably we do uh, in the playoffs, once you advance, say that we were to win Vegas this weekend, we would more so just start focusing on, uh, you know, Kansas, Texas, Martinsville to try to advance to Phoenix. Yeah, obviously, we talked a little bit before, Talladega is an open setup, much like the same rules that we run on the cup cars. Do you just kind of put your Talladega setup in that you had, you don't really work on it, and then start working on Texas right away? What kind of work goes into that preparing for this championship race? Well, normally our Talladega setup would be built off the Daytona setup from earlier in the year, but we plug that in and it's about a second and a half slower than we expected it to be. So we got to put some effort into having some sort of baseline. I've also got a teammate, it's Mitchell DeYoung, that I really want to get in the final round. You know, I can't do anything out of the ordinary in, in racecraft, but I can definitely stick on his bumper and also help him prepare with the setup for the race. So uh, I'm actually focusing on Talladega for last week and, and this week going forward. We'll switch over to Texas after Talladega is over. But, you know, I want to help my teammate out and, hey, maybe I'll grab a win at Talladega as well. Why not? That is a very noble thing to do. As far as the Talladega racing goes, is it much like kind of what you see on Sundays or is it like what we saw a couple of years ago when Stuart Haas hit the setup before everybody else did it and there's a team that checks out? Uh, is it two-car tango? What, what are the what are you what are you going to see here at the Talladega race? Yeah, funny you say that because we were in that position for uh, the Daytona race in 2020. My group found a really strong setup setup philosophy, and we pretty much 
we didn't check out, but we led most of the lap and I ended up winning that race. But this year, I expect everyone to be very close on setup. Now, iRacing is a pretty dynamic environment where stuff changes a lot. They've been updating the aerodynamic model, tire, everything else like that. And really, uh, I don't know how the race is going to play out. I've heard it's a bit single file You know, you just kind of run around the bottom, kind of like in real life where they kind of get strung out on top, right? But side draft's really strong. I don't expect to have a lot of three wide pack racing going on simply because that side draft kind of disrupts things a lot. But yeah, it's going to look pretty similar to real life, especially with how important that side draft is. That's awesome. Make sure you don't dump it getting the pit road. I know firsthand that it, that's probably the sketchiest part of the whole thing once you get strung out. So uh, we'll be pulling for you and I hope your sim pit crew does well for you. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's move off the track. And, and so we've had Jimmy Mullis on and he's told us a story about getting lost at Daytona, having a search party out looking for him when he's overslept in the hotel room. Matt Busa a couple weeks ago was talking about bowling at Denny Hamlin's house and winning a Daytona 500 uh, Sunoco checkered flag. So what kind of uh, story does, does Keegan Leahy have outside of eNASCAR, maybe around an actual NASCAR track? Have you ever had a search party after you? Have you ever won a, a checkered flag at Denny Hamlin's house bowling? Well, I was in that bowling tournament and I wanted that dang checkered flag, but Busa won it. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy experience, honestly. I'd, I'd have to double down on what Matt Busa was talking about there with our trip to Denny's house. So that was my first day meeting Denny in person and I, I got a house tour and I got to, you know, play sports in his basement. It's, that's kind of amazing. I never expected that growing up. I've grown up a huge NASCAR fan, always a Denny fan as well, back to his debut in uh, 2006, right? It's kind of hard for me to remember that, but uh, yeah, it's no crazy story I can think of related to racing. Admittedly, I haven't been to too many racetracks, but looking forward to doing more of that going forward. Denny's setup is pretty big. It's almost as big as Flores's house there. How big's the echo when you walk into the, uh, walk into Denny's house there? I'd imagine it's a pretty big setup. Oh, there was about 30 of us there at the time, so I couldn't hear my own voice, let alone my echo. But yeah, he's got a big room, especially that basketball court in his basement. <laughs> All right, we'll let you get out of here. So your next race is September 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on enascar.com backslash live. You can also catch that on NASCAR's YouTube page. Keegan. Good luck this year. Had one heck of a year. Can't wait to see you race for all that money in Texas. And make sure you guys check out the eNASCAR Arcade. Talladega weekend, October 2nd and 3rd. Simulators in iRacing. NASCAR 21 Ignition. Sneak peek demos and gameplay. A little Mario Kart even. Driver appearances and giveaways and more. They'll also have that at Kansas. Martinsville at Phoenix. So a lot going on in the world of eNASCAR. Keegan, we'll let you get out of here. And uh, we'll catch you on September 28th in Talladega. Yeah, thanks for the invite, guys, and shout out to any of the viewers watching. If you have any questions about anything, sim racing or otherwise, I'm on Twitter, Keegan Leahy. Happy to engage with you guys. All right, Pit Road Boats and Woes, Chuck Bush, Jonathan Merriman, joined by Ryan Flores. I don't know. Corey LaJoy doesn't have this show anymore. It's our show, right? Pit Road Boats and Woes. Let's start with Friday night, Flores. Interesting end to that race. You're changing tires for Austin Sendrick and the 22 team. What was the attitude like in the box? Let's go 20 laps to go and the final lap. There's a lot on the line. You come in leading in that particular race. You know, the, the race went on is on the line and then also the regular series championship. 
to be able to execute, we gain spots all day, and then we come in leading, and uh, and we hold serve, go out leading. Looks like we're going to drive off into the sunset. Caution comes out. Obviously, it's always tough when you're when you have a great night. It's a big race like that. The crowd's into it, and then you lose, and the guys that you lose to, especially in that manner, are four or five hitboxes down from you celebrating, kind of rubbing in your face. So it makes you want to say some stuff that you probably shouldn't, but then... You know, for us, you know, you kind of realize who you work for and what's on the line and that you put it in perspective and you just roll the pit banner up and leave. Got a couple more races to go, though, right? That's not the end of the year. What's the attitude? I would imagine, just like anything else, playing any other sport, uh, you can go to the racetrack now with a chip on your shoulder. Stop's going to be a little bit faster going forward for the 22. So Xfinity playoffs, man, are just as important to us as the cup playoffs are. And, and like this weekend, you know, to be able to go to Bristol with an opportunity to win Xfinity regular series championship and then you have a cup playoff race the next day. I mean, those are two high stakes races to be able to be a part of, to be able to move on to the next round with Brad and then start the Xfinity Series Championship, which our group won last year with Austin. Uh, have another shot at that. The stakes are high and anytime that you can compete and, you know, race for wins and race for championships, we want the ball as much as we can. So, uh, so yeah, we're excited about that. And especially going into next year, not knowing you know, we, we've all, that whole team, my whole pit crew has kind of been part of the Xfinity series for a long time. It's been a lot of our growth getting to the cup series, not knowing if you're going to be able to cross over next year with one lug knot or what that's going to look like. This could be our final Xfinity series uh, season. So we want to go out with a bang, but let's get to the good stuff. Yeah. Cup series. All right. Let's talk about some of this mechanics where most valuable pit crew data. So Right now, what we're seeing is a four car and average pit stop times on top of the board with a 12.04, but that doesn't necessarily translate into the impact score. Tell us the difference of why the four car isn't leading the impact score and why the nine of Chase Elliott is. That's just average pit stop sign from Bristol, right? And if I can tell you one thing, there's one thing that people on pit road love. It's numbers. And thanks to our friends and mechanics where we have it, right? So just from this weekend alone, the four car led with a 12.04 average, right? You look all the way down to 14th, and it's less than a second gap. So it was a competitive week on pit road. What the mechanics where impact score is made up of is your time gained and lost, not only in your time on pit road, but also positions gained and lost. So because the four car was in the same boat that the two car was, where we were in the top four, top five, the whole race. There's not really a great opportunity to gain a bunch of positions on a pit stop. So the nine cars are leader now, and they were at fourth for the weekend, but they only had three stops, three positions gained on pit stops. Where the 10 car was in second, they were sixth overall for the day, but they gained seven spots on pit road. So the, the 10 car really closed that gap this weekend. And last week, they were a half second out of it. Now they're a tenth and a half out of it. So really closing up the gap there pretty hard. All right, so the 22 car sitting there in 12th place. No, I take that back. Sitting in 10th place, shortage of two positions. What can you guys do to get up there? Or the two car? Well, I always do this. The two car in 7th place. So I appreciate you realizing that I'm down on the 22. But, but when we look at this, when we look at this, right, and we look at the weekend, for the team average this weekend, Penske had the best team average for the weekend, right? Their three cars were 12-2-6 or 12-6-2. And they beat out HMS's four cars at a 12.64. So they they led the team standings. But when you look at uh, the movers and the, the shakers for the mechanics wear award, you see that the 22 did gain six spots. They were 16th last week. They move up into the top 10. The other big movers was the 42. They came from 16th to 8th. You look at the four and the five, 
they both moved into the top five this week and they closed the gap in the two car up from 10th to seventh, just slowly, slowly, steadily gaining some momentum. So what's really interesting about this to me moving forward is like the 10 car really has a great opportunity to beat the nine here, right? It's that the 10 and the nine have kind of separated themselves. Last year, we saw the 22 get up to an early lead and they just kept their foot on the gas and led the whole thing. The 10 is closing that gap, but now they're knocked out of the playoffs. What you can look at here is the 10 car usually runs 10 positions worse than the nine car. We'll just call it what it is, right? So if they have the same pit crew times, they're going to gain more positions. So they have a great opportunity to beat the nine now. The problem is now that they're out of the playoffs, next year is a totally different game. So do they focus on one lug nut? And does that hurt their pit stops for the rest of the year? It's kind of like a runner running a marathon or, or a sprint and they get to the line and they're just kind of breathe a little bit and they don't focus as much or they start, you know, turning their attention to other things. Sometimes they move teams around when stuff like this happens. So we'll see if they buckle down and really shoot for this or if they start working on next year's stuff. All right, let's move on to Vegas. Richmond and Bristol the past two weeks, a little bit cramped there on pit road. Vegas, it seemed like to me, would open up a little bit. What are we looking for when we head to the desert? Yeah, Vegas is a is a great pit road. You know, just your natural mile and a half, um, big pit stalls. Wide, a little bit narrower than, than, than the other mile and a half you go to, but very slick. One thing you see at all three of these West Coast tracks, I don't know what they put in their concrete out there, but it is slick as crap, and you have to spray a lot of sticky down. The problem is sometimes you spray too much. You'll see guys out there all day with their spray cans kind of spraying the pit box, putting down the right amount of, uh, of juice there. I, I want to say, you know, 550 package, it's not going to be a lot of pit stops, but I went back and looked at what we did there in the, in the spring, and, man, we did seven stops, and it's, uh, you know, tire fall off is big. We finished second there. We had a really good day on pit road, but this is somewhere where, uh, green flag runs can really, um, uh, and it happened to us with Laney a couple of years ago, green flag runs can, you can go the whole race. We, we went, I don't know if it was two years ago, we ran the whole race green flag other than the stage breaks. So we had a misstep, like a mishap in the first stage on a green flag stop where we had to pit again. We lost two laps and we never got it back. We just ran two laps down the whole rest of the race because there was no opportunity to, uh, to get a wave around or a lucky dog. So that's something you'll see is even the green flag stops, some people think of them as a little bit of a layup. If you have a problem there, man, it can really ruin your day, especially in this race, especially if you have to come back down. So it, it should be a pretty straightforward 550 mile and a half. Given the stage breaks, you'll see some guys run long. Some guys do two tires, try to jump positions. But the guys that are going to win the race are going to split in half, do four tires, probably about seven stops and see who does the best. All right, you hit on something there. I think most people probably know about this, but in case they don't, talk about what you guys put on those pit stalls to make them tack up. I've heard root beer. I've heard Coke syrup. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's something you can't put on there that people might put on there, but but dive into that and tell people listening at home that might not know about that what it's for. So most teams, it used to just be you just poke a hole in a, in a Coke bottle and spray it on pit road, you know, and then it kind of progressed to – getting the boxes of syrup that you put in to like a restaurant into your fountain drink because it, it was a little bit less diluted and it was more syrup and less water in there. So they'd spray that. And then it turned into using the same stuff that you kind of use on the racetracks, the PJ one that, you know, the, the resin, the sticky stuff that you spray down. And then it got away from that because they thought it was tearing the tracks up. And now that the tracks kind of use it to put it on the track, people are back to using it. So everybody uses their own little mixture. Definitely a little bit more aggressive than Coke syrup now for sure. I'll tell you one thing it does. It rips up the bottom of your shoes when you're walking on pit road. 
it depends on what pit box you're walking through. If you walk through ours, it's not going to be that way. But if you walk through some of these boys that have been doing it a long time, man, you you uh, you might lose a sole, or if you have a flip flop on, you might be going down for sure. Pit road's a little bit different now than than it used to be, obviously. But I just remember those guys spraying that stuff out there. Do you get irritated when the fans or press or anybody else comes parading through? Because I mean, everybody's got to have dust and stuff on their shoes. So do you guys try to keep people off that pre-race, or what's philosophy? Our, our group doesn't really, and you know, in Vegas, it's that you can spray that stuff a minute before the pit stop. You know, it's the places that you go, like when we go to Kansas in the fall, and it's kind of you know, when it gets a little uh, gray outside and a little cold, it doesn't like to settle. I've had it before where I spray stuff on the line and jump off and and you fall in it because there's no sun to dry it. But in Vegas or, or a lot of these places now, what they're using, I think back in the day, you'd see people get a little frustrated if you walked in their pit box. But nowadays, these guys have it down to a science. They kind of lay a thin coat and they just spray all, all race long. So uh, if you walk through with your fat feet, Mary, man, I might get a little upset, but anybody else be fine. I'm going to come out there with a bag of sand and just sprinkle it in your pit box. Your boots. Your boots that you wear. I want to ask a question real quick on Bristol. You've got two pit lanes there, and if you have an instant under green and you're coming down quick, you're only going down that one side. You saw it with the 18. They had a, a flat on the right side and came down and changed tires and didn't lose too much time. But still, as a pit crew member, when you have an incident like that on the track at Bristol, what's your reaction time like? How quickly do you have to spring into action and – you're sometimes coming up cold and you have issues because of that. Yeah, I think you saw it with a couple cars. The 18 was kind of in a lucky position. They were at the end of the backstretch pit road. So they kind of had, you know, 20 seconds or so from the car uh, getting on pit road to uh, getting to the pit stall. They, Kyle also kind of drove around for a lap. The, the one that really stood out to me was the nine car, right? They were the last pit stall. They were or the first pit stall you'd come to on the front stretch. So when you watch their stop, when he, he gets a flat and is right on pit road. So that's why at Bristol, man, that's a place where you keep your helmet on or close by and definitely keep your gloves on and keep your stuff right because you never know when you're going to come back down. And the minute he says, I'm coming, he's there in about 10 or 15 seconds most of the time. The 18 really did a great job. They realized it was a right front flat, changed the right front. If you watch that stop, TJ Majors kind of directs everybody, make sure that the tires are taken care of cuts the jack and they get everything back to the wall and they don't lose too much time. If they lose more time than that there, they can go another lap down and hell they're potentially out of the playoffs. You know, they were able to not lose too much time, drive back past the leader, get back on the lead lap. The nine car, as you watch, they get the pit road and they were not ready. I don't know that they really could be, but like Nick kind of fell over the wall and then they did four when they only had a left side uh, tire down. So they put four on it, but definitely one of the hardest places we go as far as being prepared because any other track if you're not pitted in the back you have time but with two split pit roads there and having to just come down one side under green it really uh, cuts your preparation time in half if there's a problem all right that was pit road boats and woes ryan flores we appreciate it All right, my personal favorite part of the show, Jackpot Races, where I get to give everybody a hard time and tell them that their advice is bad. But today, Chuck has informed me that this will be real advice for you to try to win $25,000 from this weekend's South Point 400 in Las Vegas. I think we've learned we've learned never listen to your advice, though. It's too cold. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's too cold. Yeah. 
All right, group one, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, and Chase Elliott. I'm torn on this one. Like, I like Logano, and I like Larson. Logano does really well at Vegas. It's I feel like every time we go to Vegas, Penske is strong there. Yeah, the last mile and a half like track, even though it's not a mile and a half. Michigan, same package. You know, Penske car one, but the five car was so dominant here in the spring. It's going to be hard to bid against them for this one. All right, here's here's where my real advice is going to come in. I think that Joe Gibbs Racing is probably one of the best teams as a whole that can chase a track from sunup to sundown. So I'm going to say that there's going to be a little bit more weight put on the Joe Gibbs Racing cars, considering Kyle Larson won the Coca-Cola 600 in that same situation. I'm going to go with the five all day. Hard to go against that, especially this year. How was that for real advice? I think that's pretty good advice. I mean, we we left them, uh, you know, they might have the five. He's only won 10 races this year, so. It's a solid bet. It's a solid bet. Anytime he's there, take the five. All right, group two, Kurt Busch, Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, Kevin Harvick, William Byron. I'm going to go Blaney. I think that the 12, like I said, with the Penske thing, they're strong, but I also think that first round, they're coming out of that in fourth place in the playoff standings. They're riding a bit of a good streak of going to some tracks where he's got some potential to make some noise. I like the 12. I like Blaney as well. He's he's about won this race before. He's got a lot of speed here. I do like where our team is, you know, same equipment. I feel like our team's very strong as well. So I'm torn between the two, but I know that the front changer is going to do a good job. So I'd go with the two. Okay. You got to counteract my, uh, <laughs> he's got my it, joke yeah. before I make it, right? So yeah. I'll agree with Blaney. I think he's probably going to be the strongest Pensy car there all weekend. So I also have a little tickling feeling about Kevin Harvick being so pissed off and laser focused that uh, he could go out and win the race too. But I'm going to take Blaney just over the consistency he's had over the full year. All right. Group three Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell, Eric Almarola, Matt Benedetto, Austin Dillon, and Ross Chastain. Let's not forget. This is a race where Matt DiBenedetto almost won last year uh, that Kurt Busch did. DiBenedetto, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that I don't know. You're in that Penske camp again. And that, again, I think that could be something that you could see the 21 make some noise. I still, I like the eight and the three, though. There's something about RCR that uh, gets me just looking at those two in this group. Maybe I'm going to take one of those two. Convince me otherwise. What I'll try to convince you with, let me see if I can persuade you to my side. The 20 car, right? They're the only one in that group in the playoffs, right? They need a strong run here in Vegas. I feel like if I'm at Gibbs, I'm putting emphasis on all the cars, but I'm definitely putting emphasis on that one because he is the one outside, you know, outside the cutoff line right now, or, or at least close to it. So he's the one that needs the, needs the best run here. They have a good team, good pit crew, and I would bank on the 20 car, especially after the insight Marion gave us on our round one. That is a solid pitch, though. <laughs> I'm going to go with the 42. Uh, I don't think he cares. He's not in the playoffs. He wants to give Chip Ganassi Racing, who won here last year with Kurt Busch, another win before he moves over to Trackhouse. So I'm going to go with Ross Chastain. That should really you sold me on the 20 for everybody. <laughs> no, you sold me. You sold me on Bell. I'm going to okay, go Bell. I think Bell. Bell's Bell's where you're going to go. It's that that playoff uh, mentality, and Gibbs has been strong so far in the playoffs. So uh, maybe he rises to the occasion. All right, that'll do it for jackpot races. Corey will be back off the golf course right after this with some spare change. All right, guys, I'm back off the links. The back's good and loosened up. Shot 18, we finished sixth in the tournament, in case y'all were wondering, Chuck. But I want, before we got, 
It was a yes, captain's choice. I don't know, scramble or something. I don't know golf terminology, but it was fun. Um, it was fun. We did a little. They had a little cocktail thing last night at the Hall of Fame. A lot of cool cars in there too. By the way, I got a couple of Earnhardt cars, a couple of Benny Parsons cars. I haven't been in there in a while, so I recommend if you're in town, go check out the NASCAR Hall of Fame. That's not even like a. Sham. Those were the ones I think selected by uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. to be in there, dude killer killer collection yeah. down there for sure but uh something we want to keep on doing penny for your thoughts appreciate y'all sending in your submissions each and every week and then we got some interesting kickball information to Ooh. catch up to speed on so what we got for some pennies for your thoughts chuck it's more of a comment or statement i think uh than a really uh but it is his thought it is his thought and it's david i don't want to mispronounce his last name so we'll just go with his twitter handle at j ride you know what i'm screwing it all up but david you know who you are he knows who he is yeah he knows, he who, knows he is. who he is said finished up this week's episode of stacking pennies on the ride home from work made a pit stop after hashtag penny for your thoughts cheers fellas have fun at bristol and it's hashtag get busy with it so he heard the episode and stopped to get one of those busies so you're ringing endorsement i'm telling you busies are delicious bro busies are delicious i went with the high noon at your party and those were pretty good too i don't know back to back i'm taking visies all right so thanks for the uh i don't know the visy and the pay for your thoughts do we have any questions this week or just like no no real questions that, that that i've seen we need we need to get folks to you know use that hashtag use it use hashtag penny for your thoughts tag us and then ask your question like what is your question what do you want to know let us know and then we'll troll the internet and find it and ask the questions on here, and you'll get the answers from the man himself. I mean, you listened to that Bernard Pollard interview earlier. You've got a bunch of answers. You're a wealth of knowledge as I'm stroking your ego as we're <laughs> wrapping up this show. Yeah, the hair. It's, it's, it's fl- the knowledge flows like the locks underneath <laughs> your hat. Like Lake Minnetonka. Yeah. All right, and we've got – so we got Penny for your thoughts. we got Penny Stacker of the Week. I could give that to two people. The first one, I'll give it to Everett Larson. He's my little buddy that lives, I think, in Johnson City, Tennessee, races. I bought him a pair of driving shoes for his birthday. He keeps me updated. I've got his little picture hanging up in the lounge of the hauler. So Everett Larson is the penny stagger of the week. I probably should give the penny stagger of the week 2.0 to Anthony Alfredo because I did crash him into turn three. We can get into that or we don't have to. I mean, I kind of want to know. Here's from my point of view. He was crashed early. His quarter panel's hanging off. He's, his deck lid's all banged up. He's running slow. Multiple laps down. We're running the top. We committed to running the top pretty much after about lap 200. The top lane was dominant. So him as a lap down wounded car was running the bottom anytime I saw him. All 15, 20 laps, he was down. He runs the bottom for the at least the seven laps that I, he was in my eye shop. Down the back stretch, I anticipated him going to the bottom again, but for one some odd reason, he decided to go to the top. And I just drove in the corner like I usually had been, and his car was just in my way. So, and unfortunately, tore up Macho Man BJ McLeod's car as well as Justin Haley's car. But that's a thing where, you know, I come on the radio and said, he's got to pick a lane. And the lane he picked all night long was the bottom. And when he chose to pick the top, unbeknownst to him there was a car right behind him I mean, it's got to be at the end of the day you're in control of your race car and where it was and his was in front of the wrong car at the wrong time because i was none too happy with how my car was handling so he just picked the wrong time to try to go run the top 
when I was already committed to the top. And that's what happened. So we saw that Sparks tweet today. The track bar dropped six inches throughout the race. We've seen track bar adjusters fail and it'll just bottom out, right? So did that make you just tight? I was plowing. So we did everything under the sun. We couldn't quite get the balance right. Come to find out after the race is over. Yes, the track bar adjuster, a bar in the back that pretty much adjusts your roll center. And you can move it up, freeze the car up. You can drop it down, makes it tight. In layman's terms, it dropped down at least six inches from where we had intended it to, which made for a long night. And we couldn't quite uh, have the speed in our car that we had expected to. So it was just kind of a block and tackle night and finish, I think, one to six. So yes, little stuff like that happens and it makes it for a long night. And you don't really find out until afterwards. That was unfortunate because we always have Bristol circled on our schedule to go run well there. And we had that little issue there and it made for a long night. It's been a long show and I don't want this to be long, <laughs> right? But how hard is it when you're slow like that at Bristol to stay out of the way? It's almost impossible, but you still can be aware that if you are slow and the leaders are catching you and everybody's committed to running the top, you could run the bottom and just give a lane plus two or three feet. That way, you know, the guys catching, you know, that you're going to be committed to the bottom and also, you can give plenty of space and not be in the way and, and cost somebody the race. So we talked about it a lot with Bernard. It's, it's super hard to get out of the way, but, you know, you also have to be aware of where your car's positioned on the racetrack in, in relation to the leaders coming. And a lot of that's on the driver, but a lot of that's on the spotter as well. Chuck, we did a walkthrough at the old Atrium Health Ballpark in downtown Kannapolis this past week, and it had me super jazzed up for our first annual kickball classic on October 6th, which is the Wednesday before the Roval. What did you think? I am super jazzed up as well because we're going to live stream it on NASCAR's YouTube page. I think it's about 6 o'clock p.m. is when that all-star game will happen. you got a lot of NASCAR talent out there on the field. you got a couple of local uh, athletic folks out there as well. Like Mar Marvin Williams, did I see his name out there? A little uh, Carolina Tar Heel action? Marvin Williams playing as well, yeah couple other uh, dignitaries and whatnot that are playing in that. Merriman and I will be on the call on the field in a sort of home run derby. If you watch the home run derby this year during the all-star uh, break for uh, baseball, the way they had that kind of set up, that's kind of what we're thinking for this. So we'll have some uh, analysis from the field. We'll have some interviews probably with some of the drivers. It'll be a fun, uh, fun day. It's going to be super fun. So it's almost two parts. So the first part is structured similar to a golf tournament where we, we sold 16 teams and it's going to be pool play with four teams in every pool. Every team with the best run differential out of those pools will play in the semifinals then obviously play in the finals. So we will crown a kickball classic championship. And then that will lead into to what Chuck just said, a celebrity game and then a celebrity autograph session for about 45 minutes. And then we'll have two killer singer songwriter acts after that, I believe at eight o'clock. So anybody's in town, all, all it takes is 10 bucks. You can get that at CorleyJoyRacing.com and buy your tickets for the kickball classic. It's gonna be super fun. And we're gonna have, they got beer, they got all this concession stands open like it's running like a minor league game. So I'm super jazzed up. The, the jerseys are in, they look sweet. Everything's coming together. And if you can't be there, you can turn to NASCAR.com's YouTube page and watch it streaming and see Chuck's beautiful face. You may, you may not see a lot of my face. So you'll hear my voice. We'll lean more towards that and show the action on the field. And it's very soothing. And we're going to see some action this Sunday night at Vegas. So talk to you all next week. This has been Stack and Penny.